From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. At a certain point, you feel like, oh, what am I I'm screaming into the void here? And, and people are responding to it, and people agree, and yet we're still not getting anything done. In fact, we're, we're taking steps backwards in so many different areas, not just this one. But what are you going to do? Give up? You can't. So you have to talk about what is on everyone's mind. And uh, I have a hard time with it. It's uh, very difficult for me. I, I, it, it's hard for me to get through it. And, uh, but I don't feel like I have any choice. For Jimmy Kimmel, having to go on TV after another shooting massacre is heart-wrenching. And that's particularly true when the brutally murdered people are young children in an elementary school. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Jimmy Kimmel about how his voice has become the conscience of a nation that is in a really bad place right now. But we also talk about getting back to the studio after COVID, his April Fool's stunt with Jimmy Fallon, his upcoming trip to Brooklyn, and of course, producing a third edition of Live in Front of a Studio Audience with Norman Lear. And of course, we ask for an update on what he's thinking about in terms of his future. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Jimmy Kimmel is back on TV after two separate bouts of COVID-19. He's fine, but his experience is a reminder that we still live in unusual times. Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy. I'm the host of the show. I've returned. I'm back. (laughs) I've returned from the dead. I'm alive. You know, uh, that's very nice. I appreciate it. I had, uh, as you probably heard, I had COVID three weeks ago. I tested positive uh, three weeks ago. I was positive for a week. Then I was negative for a whole week between that. Then I was positive for another week. And now, what I'm saying is I'm weak, I think, is really what I'm <laughs> And uh, I wasn't very sick either time. Fortunately, I had two boosters and a whole bottle of Flintstones vitamins to help me. But <laughs> it was a reality check. You know, once I tested negative, I was like, oh, I'm indestructible. I could do anything. I went to an indoor restaurant, which is something I haven't done in a long time. Not only was I not wearing a mask, I didn't have a shirt on. I was just going crazy. <laughs> And, um, and then I, I go online after I, I tested it, and I read this headline. It says, Jimmy Kimmel tests positive for HIV again. <laughs> I got many, many, many emails about that. <laughs> again? <laughs> you think I would have heard about that the first time, you know? That's the kind of thing the doctor calls about there, right? No. When Jimmy Kimmel and I made plans to talk for this podcast, it was before the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, and the murder of 19 children and two teachers at an elementary school via an assault rifle that completely blows up any person who's shot with such a ghastly weapon. So we had to talk about it, and Jimmy was gracious in walking through his process and having to address such a horrific event on what should be a fun, lighthearted talk show. It's a burden, but Jimmy has risen to the occasion time and time again and has been a voice of reason in a world where those voices are being drowned out. We talked about Jimmy's monologue and how he tried to appeal to the humanity that he hopes is still inside the elected officials who let these things happen. I wish I was as optimistic, but it's all we got. And so I began by asking Jimmy to give us a status report after his COVID bout. 
Jimmy, how are you feeling? How how are you doing? You know, I was in New York for upfronts. You were going to be there in person. They 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 zoomed you in, but you still sounded and and looked great and and still killed the room as always. That moment, that morning, I tested positive. I'd been negative for I think seven days, and then I was positive before that. And I kind of I woke up. I had kind of a scratchy throat, and I thought. Oh no, this could potentially be problematic. So I, I got one of those tests from the drugstore and it's immediately, you know, it's funny when, when you don't have COVID, which I'd not had, you don't know how much that test lights up when you have it. It's not, there's, there's nothing vague about it. It's a yeah. solid line. And yeah. I, I called my friends at ABC and said, we have an issue here that we have to figure out. And we, you know, we're trying to figure out what should I do? One time we're thinking about, I stand outside the building and, and be like, you know, zoomed in from the parking lot or something, but that didn't seem like a great option. So we we went over to Kelly and Ryan's studio and filled that thing with germs. <laughs> That's good. By by yeah. the way, kudos to you. You know, <laughs> Ryan needs a little shake up. So I don't think Ryan can get COVID. I don't think he just keeps moving. He moves too fast. It can't stick to him. Yeah. No, no, I hear you. Well, it it is a, such a tradition, and and we haven't had upfronts for a couple of years, so there there was no way they were not going to have you do something there. It's funny. It's one of those things. It's a lot of work, and we put a lot of thought into it because, in some ways, you're just doing versions of the same jokes every year. So you have to. It's like squeezing a bar rag. You got to get another drop out of it. So, um, and I've been doing it for 19 years now. So. It's always a big pain, and then it's strange because you wind up not doing it or doing it on tape as we did the last couple of years, and you kind of miss it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I always find it funny because, yeah, it's sort of a variation on network TV's dead. You know, why are you buying from ABC? The ratings are worse than ever. But yet they love it there so much that even in the days following, the ABC's folks were like, are you are you posting Jimmy's monologue? you you got to get it up there. you got to spread it out. And I'm like... Well, yeah, it's great. I love it, but you guys love it too. That's okay. That's great. I'm glad you love that he is ripping you like a new asshole. Like he is exposing you guys for the declines that you're experiencing. It's hey, great. I'd love well, that you love it. You know, I remember when I did it the first time and it was very disorganized. In fact, I think I signed my contract to do the show that day. I think I signed it with my lawyer at lunch that afternoon. And as I don't know, maybe I told you, I didn't even know the show was an hour long when I was walking on stage at the upfront. I thought it was supposed to be a half an hour show. So I walked up there and I made fun of the network for hiring me and made fun of myself and made fun of a couple of other things. And it went over very well. I was very nervous and rocking back and forth, but it went over well. And afterward, the network president, Alex Wallow, said to me, he's a good friend of mine now, he said, uh, you know, that was great. Had you shown me the script beforehand, I never would have let you do it. So I got lucky in that nobody vetted my remarks the first time, and they worked, so they they let me keep doing it. Now, that doesn't mean along the way there haven't been some people who've had some problems with some of the things that I I say, but this current group is pretty great, and they seem just to be open to everything. Nobody had any notes about any of it. Well, and that, that's the great thing about having now been there for as long as you have. You've outlived so many different regimes at this point. It, it's you know, 20, 20 years. That that's, that's a lifetime in just television executives. Sometimes it's great and sometimes it isn't because 
sometimes you find you get somebody and you go, okay, great. This is the person that I enjoy working with. Like, uh, like Carrie Burke, you know, and then she gets promoted or moves to another company or sometimes they get fired or whatever. And you have to start all over again. But the group that I work with now is, is a pretty great group of people. And it's not always been the case. And what's funny is that a lot of them are, are from Fox, which, you know, back in the day prior to all of this, you, you were on Fox. You were, you were doing, uh, you know, some Jimmy the Sports Guy stuff back, back in the day. I think maybe even before they were at Fox. So oh, yeah. you're pretty good at Fox. Fox. <laughs> I was on television at Fox before I was even on television. I did promos for the Fox network. I was local radio sports guy. And they, this guy, I'd been writing morning guys who, you know, Kevin and Bean from K-Rock. I would write a lot of their stuff and I was the sports guy on their show. And they were the voices of Fox. They were the Fox voiceover guys. So every primetime show and be like, and coming up next on The Simpsons, isn't that? And I'd write that stuff for them. And they liked what I was doing and they liked me and they called, they sent me a script and they said, this is a promo for the show Party of Five. We want you to look at it and let us know what you think of it. And I you know I needed money at the time. So I was glad to take any job I could, could get. And I said, I looked at the promo. I was like, you know, actually, I think this is pretty funny. I don't really... I wish I did have something to add to it. I don't have anything to add to it. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to shoot it on Friday. Come in. And and I said, okay, I'll come in. And then they called back and started asking me what my shirt size and what my pants size was. And I was like, oh, I get the shirt size. Maybe they have T-shirts to give me. But uh, weird that they would have swag pants. And I got there, and they sat me down in the makeup room and started putting makeup on me. And I honestly had no idea what was going on. But I went along with it, and it wasn't until the director came in that I realized I was the host of the promo or the talent in the promo. <laughs> and I wound up doing these promos as Jimmy the Fox guy. And I did like a hundred of them, probably. I love that this is a sort of a recurring theme of your career. Is yeah, I kind of didn't quite know what this thing was going to be. I just showed up and I did it, and it turned out to be a huge hit or success. Yeah, it wasn't even really. I wouldn't say it was a huge hit. I mean, they liked it. No one ever recognized me. I mean, this is the Fox Network in the 90s, so presumably people were watching it. It's not, but And yet, nobody ever like stopped me on the street. And when it was done after a couple of years, it was pretty much done. Even when Fox Sports hired me, it had nothing to do with the fact that I'd been doing promos in the network. Oh, really? I don't even think the guys, Scott Ackerson, David Hill, I don't think they even knew I was already on the network it's totally from the radio <laughs> well hey, it worked out it worked out and yeah i guess it did <laughs> and and so you know going going back to jimmy come alive i mean the fact that we are hitting the the 20 year mark is pretty astounding first off that it's been 20 years um which i can't believe you you still look young and fit and and ready yeah. to go jimmy <laughs> i've gotten well great. I don't know about young and I don't know about fit, but I'm definitely ready to go. <laughs> you have young children. That helps, right? I mean, I, I feel like you've got this youthful energy now. and, and you're It is funny. Have to. Well, it's called immaturity, but I do have young children. I guess it does help in some ways. It also hurts in some ways because one of my young children chose to woke me up at 6.15 this morning. So they do, they, they tire you out and they make you old and young at the same time, I guess. Yeah. 
No, it's true. But but I think it's it's given you a, a, a new sort of outlook on things in, in recent years. Sure. Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, that's sort of, a, I suppose, a segue to, you know, as we're recording this, obviously, uh, you know, it, it's been a tough week in this world. It's, but I feel like it's always a tough week in this world these days. But in particular, when something as, as tragic as the massacre that happened in Texas happens. And, 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 you know, as a talk show host, as someone who comes into people's homes every evening, I know you've, you've felt a responsibility to you know, have to comment on it and, and have to discuss it. And it's something that I know impacts you deeply. And particularly now that you have, you know, these, these young kids at the same time that the world is collapsing, it seems. That's a, I, I know a lot to, to have to sort of grapple with just in general as a human being. But then I know that you feel responsibility to also go on the air and, and discuss it and, and, and kind of help us sort of grapple with that. It never gets easier, I know, but kind of walk no, me through it, it how it gets the- harder. It gets yeah. harder because, and we obviously, you know, when we planned to do this podcast, we didn't know that this was something we were going to be talking about. No, no. There is a certain amount of pessimism that that infects you when you've talked about this multiple times because the first time you think. Well, what I'm saying seems to make sense. It's pretty much what everyone else is thinking. Maybe this will, I don't know, maybe we'll get through to somebody. Maybe there will be a, a handful of Republican senators, Congress people who go, yeah, you know what? This is, this is nuts. We can't, this can't keep happening. This is not, this has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. But then it doesn't. And it's somewhat shocking. And then it happens again. And then it happens again, and it happens when you're on break and you're not even on television. And at a certain point, you feel like, what am I screaming into the void here? And and people are responding to it, and people agree, and yet we're still not getting anything done. In fact, we're, we're taking steps backwards in so many different areas, not just this one. Yeah. And um, But what are you going to do? Give up? You know, you can't. So... And what are you going to do? Talk about the NBA playoffs? You know, you can't. You have to talk about what is on everyone's mind. And I have a hard time with it. It's uh, very difficult for me. I, I it, It's hard for me to get through it. And uh, But I don't feel like I have any choice. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know this time out, you know, the thought was maybe if I appeal to the humanity, is there humanity in, in these people? And I sometimes wonder if there is, but you sort of, you have to, and, and hopefully get through to them because you know, the people who are listening for the most part agree with you. And so how do you get to those people who aren't listening, who aren't paying attention? And so, so I thought it was a real interesting sort of angle for you to take this time in, in trying to appeal to if there is any humanity in these leaders, in Ted Cruz, et cetera. And again, I don't know if there is, but hopefully there, there's still some something there that that you can appeal to and, and can address. And maybe this time they'll pay attention. There has to be. And maybe maybe just their inclination to to want to be popular, to want to be love will win. Maybe that'll win this battle. Maybe one of their wives will say, hey, you know, we've got kids here. 
what are you doing? You know, maybe we'll come from an unexpected place. We'll come from the inside. Or maybe the fact that so many of us want limits on who can have a gun and who can have what what type of a weapon. Um, maybe they'll listen to us since that's what they're supposed to be doing. That doesn't seem to be the case. I don't know. Maybe we just need to give them more money than the NRA does. Maybe that's the answer. I, I don't know. But I hope we can figure it out because, I mean, I don't know how these people live with themselves. It's just remarkable that maybe they do. Maybe their belief is so strong that they're doing the right thing, that this is about freedom, which it seems to be the opposite of freedom to me. This is, they want to incarcerate our children at school. We don't even talk about the overall effect that has on these these kids mentally and, you know, children that are going through these these drills in case a gunman. Can you imagine this? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I remember getting under my desk and preparing for air raid drills when I was a kid. I remember it being very disturbing, you know. Yeah. I mean, our kids should be shouldn't be worried about anything other than an earthquake, you know, things that we can't do anything about. Why are we spending so much? Why are we at war with ourselves? Just crazy. And I'm having a really hard time understanding how anyone could see it as anything other than that. Right, right. Or or they're they're grasping for the these these crazy solutions like let's have a single door that is with with an armed guard and as we've seen armed guards don't work and the idea of having one door is such a just a safety like a frightening idea in itself and and that's your solution which again yeah, don't not, go too down yeah. that road but but I, so so you know bring it back to the show jimmy i'm always i'm curious i mean that's got to be a tough day to just do a show period and and you know you're do your monologue and and you address it, but then you know what is it like to try to you know do the rest of the show and and how do you sort of adjust to that and what's sort of the mood on on set when when you have to address something like this? Well, it's 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 just kind of me alone in my room preparing to speak, and it's hard for the audience to come back from that, and you don't you do feel a little bit bad because. Most of the audiences, they're on vacation and they've written away to see the show and they're expecting fun. And then the guests are there to promote their projects, most of which are are fun. And so you kind of bring them into this. It's hard to get around it. I found that for me, the easy, not easier way to do it, but the better way to do it is to speak without an audience. And uh, I feel like I can be more direct that way and also just feels wrong to sit there uh, and accept applause breaks when speaking about something like this. Yeah. So for me, I came down early. I, uh, I spoke, I went back up to my office. We brought the audience in. I came out, I spoke to the audience. I told them what was going on. And then we went right into the guest segments from there. Isn't it terrible that we have this figured out now? I mean, it's like, this is not something that you should have a plan for. This is something that, it should be totally confusing and uh but and yet it's happened so many times so many things like this have happened so many times now that there's like a template for how we do it yeah and and i've had uh, had this conversation with with some of your colleagues as well i've i've talked to conan about this in the past i mean the fact is that that everyone's had to do this so many times now and and have you all cuz i know the the talk talk show host community now is much more 
collaborative than it used to be. There's a lot more conversation. Have you guys all sort of maybe had a private chat about how you're dealing with this and and how you all approach it and maybe something that... No, not really. I don't think... Occasionally we'll have general conversations about it, but I think it's just, there's nothing to talk about. We all get it. We know how it is. It's, uh, it's, it's no fun at all. And that is an odd thing in a job that's supposed to be all fun, you know? So, uh, but to complain about it is obviously indulgent and pointless and ridiculous. It's, um, it's just what, it's just part of what you have to do. After the break, more from Jimmy Kimmel, including his April Fool's prank with Jimmy Fallon and the future of Jimmy Kimmel Live. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. We're chatting with Jimmy Kimmel Live host Jimmy Kimmel. Long before his talk show and even Win Benstein's Money or The Man Show, Jimmy was Jimmy the Sports Guy on K-Rock's Kevin and Bean Show. That's how I first heard him, on the radio. And I know Jimmy still loves radio, as do I. And his recent April Fool's prank, in which he swapped studios for a night with Jimmy Fallon, is a classic radio-style bit. It's something Kevin and Bean did one year with Power 106's Baker Boys. As we get back into the conversation, I can't help but geek out about it. Well, let me steer it a, a little bit toward more that, uh, you know, the collaboration now between all the hosts, because, you know, obviously April Fool's Day was was something that you and the other Jimmy managed to pull off. And it reminded me of yeah. a good old fashioned radio stunt back back. Yeah, it, DJ you know used to trade stations and, and show up and, and Kevin and Bean were on Power 106. You and know they, what? That was an idea I had for Kevin and Bean uh, 25, 26 years ago to switch with the, uh, the, the Baker, Baker Boys. boys. Yeah. Yep. On April remember. Fool's Day, every day, yeah. every April Fool's Day, we did a trick. And I thought it would be funny to do with Jimmy Fallon because so many people confuse us and we're mentioned in every sentence because we have the same first name. And uh, and we've been planning this, I think, for four. I think I pitched this like four or five years ago. But for whatever reason, COVID being two of the big reasons, but it didn't work out. And then this year, I was like, we have to do this because April Fool's Day is is falling on a weekend next year. So we got, if we're going to do this, we have to do it. And yeah. uh, we did get it done. And it's amazing. Like, as many people who knew about it, that it didn't get out. I'm, it really is surprising that it didn't. Yeah, because logistically, that, that must have been a bear to, to pull off. Like, just- It wasn't too bad. You know, basically, after, you know, we took Jimmy pre-taped the show, I think, on a Thursday. He came out. We shot a couple of things together. I flew to New York. He stayed in L.A. And we just hosted each other's show. But it is, it's really, I have to say, there are so few talk shows. And to be able to, first of all, it's fun just to talk to the other talk show hosts, you know something in common that almost nobody else experiences. But then to see like, oh, you know, the one thing I really took away from it is Jimmy had some really good shelves under his desk at the Tonight Show. And uh, so I had them build me a couple of shelves under my desk for the album that I hold up and for some of the pictures that I have. I don't know why we never thought of shelves, but it's it really <laughs> been a major improvement in the show. Shelves. that That's what's keeping the show going. <laughs> Sometimes it's the little things they add up. Yeah, that's 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 cool. Was there this this weird feeling of like cheating on your staff on on cheating on your band? In, in 
I think they had that feeling. I think both staffs and bands had that feeling where it was like, oh, this is a little bit weird. I mean, my band leader is my best friend since I'm nine years old, you know? And so it was, it was weird, but I think they all loved it. I think they had a lot of fun. It's just fun to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. And especially to, like you said, to be able to finally do something like this again after, after the COVID years, not that COVID's gone, but the fact yeah. that you can finally get back and, and start doing some things again, this, this, this has been a, a good year. You're going back to Brooklyn later this year. So for the first time in three years. um, Yes. Unless something terrible happens again. (laughs) (laughs) You just never know anymore. I know it's crazy. We have these plans, but we're excited. That's the most fun for us. That's And when I say us, I mean the whole staff because we love Brooklyn. Obviously the audiences are fantastic there. The venue BAM is a lot of fun. It's a huge venue it feels like a different show. The only negative is going back to LA the next month, the following Monday and, and doing the show in front of an audience of like 120 people. It just suddenly feels, it goes from like feeling like, uh, like the NFL to golf, <laughs> you know? Yeah, how many people are in BAM that, that you perform to? A couple of thousand. Oh, wow. I didn't realize yeah. it was that big. That's, yeah, it's big. That's a crowd. Yeah. That does that. That is funny. You haven't done it in three years, so that that's got to be exciting to finally just get back out there. Yeah. In fact, when I host tonight show, I hadn't been to New York in more than two years, which was probably the longest stretch of my life that I, I've not been there. It was very strange, but it's, it's great to it, you know it's to feel that life again that really can only feel in New York City. Does does it feel different now, or or has it sort of slowly? turned back to normal as, as you've gotten back to the, the audience and, and, you know, tr- trying to do the show the way you used to pre COVID or does it's it pretty still- close. I wish there was a kind of straight line or a slanted line that was leading us toward, but there just, there are these bumps that I mean, when we came back from Christmas, we didn't come back from Christmas, you know, or like kind of felt like I remember our health and safety people, somebody asking them how long they thought they'd be there. And they're like, well, we're going to be here. We think we're going to be here until April of 2022. And I was like, that is insane. That There's no way they're still going to be here in April of 2022. And guess what? It's, it's May. They're still there. And they'll probably be there until April of 2023 or beyond. Who knows? I have no idea. This has become an industry in and of itself. And uh, the audience is now at the beginning with the masks were a real problem. It's like they didn't know they were uncomfortable. They'd not been in a a room with other people. They're wearing masks. So they hide behind them in some ways. And now I think they're a little more, they're used to going to events with masks on. And so more normal than it was. It's still not normal. It's still not what it once was. We're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like in Los Angeles, there's still more of an acceptance, uh, you know, being in New York for, for upfronts, no yeah. one was wearing a mask. I, I don't know how I managed to escape without COVID. <laughs> Honestly, I went to rehearsal the day before the upfront and I was looking around that room and, you know, and they were telling me people weren't going to be wearing masks. And I was just like, this is insane. This is not this is not a good idea. Why are we doing this? Yeah. It's, I mean, this event should be held outdoors or not held at all. Yeah. And so many of these presentations were all like we're watching just screens for the most part anyway. It's kind of, yeah. okay, we, we, we're getting COVID for this. Like this could have been a Zoom 
It's funny. They brought in a lot of celebrities, but they weren't accessible to anyone. In fact, at ABC, we had like all the celebrities were corralled into a balcony off to the left where yeah. no one could see them at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they flew all these stars out for no one to ever actually interact. Yeah, you're, you're right. It was it wasn't quite a normal upfront. There's a learning curve, I guess, that we still haven't hit. Well, speaking of of managing to get get back in the swing of things, at least we got another live in front of a studio audience. Also, after a couple of year break this this past uh, holiday season, so that was great because a we still have to protect Norman Lear, who is that's right about to turn a hundred. Uh, yes, he is. But you're able to still pull it off with with uh, another another fun collection. You know, and and doubt it particularly as Mrs. Garrett is. Wasn't she great? Wasn't she just fantastic? And to have her in both shows was, well, for people who don't remember what it was, is we, and some people didn't see it, so I, I feel like I should explain it. Sure. We restage classic sitcoms of the past. In this case, in the past, we've done All in the Family and Jefferson's and Good Times. In this case, we did Different Strokes and, and Facts of Life. And this is the original idea that I had, which was to put to make Kevin Hart Gary Coleman. That was <laughs> that was like the dream, right? That's the whole so, reason why you did any of this was to finally make that happen. And, yep. and, and so I pitched this to Kevin many years ago, and he immediately got how funny it was. And he said, that is a great idea. I definitely want to do that. And uh, But Kevin's very busy, and so it took a while for us to actually make it happen. In fact, it took finally, I just said to Kevin, I was like, we got to do this. This is funny. And he's like, you're right. We have to do it. I said, give me any week you're available this year and we'll do this. And, um, and he did. And then of course, COVID and people kept saying, we really want one. I was like, yeah, but we can't do live in front of a studio audience, not in front of a studio audience is going to be terrible. So finally we got to a place where it was safe enough to do it. And the best part of it for me, and it was the cast, and Dowd was unbelievable. Kevin Hart, and Jennifer Aniston, and John Stewart, and Will Arnett and Jason Bateman yeah. goofing around in the background playing these ancillary characters. They were doing their own show, like in the background. Like you could Catherine see Hahn just like became Joe. It was so funny to see because she's so not like that at all. And and then having like uh so many of these great, um, but now John Lithgow playing Mr. Drummond. It's like everybody I really wanted came through. Damon Wayans playing Willis. It really was amazing this time around. I think it became easier because we'd done this before, but everyone I really wanted said they would do it. And it was, um, it was really, it was just so good. It's funny. I think people were ready to go like enough already with this. And then you see it and you go, okay, wait a minute. This is great. And just sitting next to Norman where he gets to watch these, these characters that he played such a huge role in making part of all of our lives, getting him to see those characters back to come back to life. is It's hard to explain. It's just, it's like, uh, it's just so much fun to, sit next to him as he's beaming, which is what he should be doing. And we wait, I think, until people pass away to to tell them how meaningful they are. And I'm just so glad that we've been able to do this while Norman is with us. Yeah. And and uh he's he's been busier than he's been in years. The the fact that he's still so active and still so a part of, of all of these things. You know what's interesting is getting to know him and learning how active he is on behalf of the future of this country. 
And I hope that when I am 99 years old, which is not going to happen, by the way, but were it to happen, that I care as much. I mean, this man cares so much about the future. And um, it is very powerful. It really is. And he knows what's going on. And he, he does so much work for the greater good. It is. I would hope that that would be something that inspired people of every persuasion, every political persuasion. I really yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, World War II hero that that's still out there and, and yeah. still, you know, is and and you know, and and that's something that I think about when I see some of our rights being rolled back and and some of the things that are going on right now in the world is, you know, he like Norman Lear and and his generation fought so hard to make these changes and he's still alive to see them now all roll back, which is just devastating to me. But Yeah. Well, I'm sure even more so to them. But also, one thing you learn from uh, people like Norman, and there aren't many, is that we've been through a lot in the past, and uh, we don't necessarily acknowledge it because we didn't personally go through it in the past. But uh, he has, and many have, and the optimism that you feel from people like him makes you feel optimistic. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. So what's uh, what's the plan for the next one? You guys close to figuring out the the, the, the fourth edition? Well, Norman's turning 100. And so we're hoping to have a celebration of, of some kind for that. And so that's what our focus right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's coming up soon. So yeah, July, he turns 100 in July. All right. You guys planning a, a special event, special show, special... It'll be uh, a surprise party. We're going to leap out and scare Norman. Don't do that. <laughs> I've been thinking about that. I'm like, how surprised do you want Norman to be? Let's let's. <laughs> yeah, surpri- I think Norman could handle any surprise, yeah. no problem at all. But, but yeah, it's probably not a great idea. <laughs> right, right. Do something a little more mellow. And COVID's still there too, so you do want to be a little little careful with it. We are, believe me, we, he will he will be in a in a bubble. All right. So speaking, Jimmy, of of upfronts, you know, there were some people who were wondering. Is Jimmy gonna come out and pull off a come out? Carson, <laughs> but pull off a Johnny Carson and decide to surprise everyone and announce on the stage, got one year left. Thanks, it's been great. Farewell. You know, I didn't realize Johnny did that at the upfront. He did that at the upfront. He did that at the upfront. He surprised everyone like in 91 or 92, where he he didn't even tell the NBC execs. He just came out and said, it's been real, but I'm going to be ending my show next year. Not and, that I don't love the advertising and marketing community, <laughs> but I feel like an announcement of that type would be um, would be for the viewers of my show, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> for the people who buy the commercials on the show. So that's not something that I, I think I would I would do. As far as what I am going to do, uh, I don't know. I wish. I wish. I wish I knew what I was going to do. I have, I have moments where I go, I cannot do this anymore, and moments where I go, I kind of, die. What am I going to do with my life if I'm not doing this anymore? And do I need to do this anymore? And it's a very complicated thing. It's not just about the job. It's just it's trying to um, try not to make a terrible mistake. <laughs> you know, I think that's that's the thing that there's fear and there's uh, and there are practical considerations and there are family and friend considerations and coworker considerations. And eventually I am going to have to stop doing this. I mean, that's that's the thing. I'm not going to do this forever. 
But have I decided? Not be honest at all if I said I have decided one way or the other. I have not decided one way or the other. I'm thinking I'm thinking about it a lot though. Yeah, because I know your your contract is up this year. So it is up next year. Yeah. Oh, it is up next year. So yeah. you have a little more time. I, yes, I have some time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it is an interesting decision because obviously, you know, your wife is impacted too. This is, you know, this part part of her world too. So that that's sort of a fascinating decision that both of you, I'm sure, are sort of con- conversing about and deciding yeah. together on, on the future. Yeah, yeah. We, um, you know, it's something we talk about a lot. And uh, it's something, it's funny because obviously everybody at work wants to know what I'm going to do. So they try to get information out of Molly in a roundabout way. (laughs) And, you know, truth is Molly doesn't know any more than I know or any more than anybody knows because it hasn't been figured out yet. Taking it one day at a time. There you go. Norman Lear. Oh, wow. What a beautiful wrap up that is. This is why, it's why you're you. It's why I'm a professional. (laughs) Look it up in the book. So, well, Jimmy, it's a, Always fun seeing you, talking to you. I'm sorry we didn't have more fun topics to discuss, but uh, so is such is life. Yeah, and we are catching each other at yeah at the end of a a tough week. So it's you know it felt appropriate to discuss that. And, and I'm glad that this wasn't on video because I'm an absolute mess right now. I'm looking at myself in the Zoom camera, and I'm sorry, Michael. I just am. I, I you really are seeing the wolf man side of me. Well. Same, same with me, by the way. So I'm, I'm glad we can we can do this with each other because I like I have not showered. Oh, you look good. You oh. look good. Yeah, you look fine. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow looking super old right now. You're glowing. I'm not really. Well, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, hopefully, see you in person soon. Uh, yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. What I understand, pretty resistant to COVID right now. So if you're going to be around anybody, it's safest to be around me. That's Jimmy Kimmel, host of Jimmy Kimmel Live, airing weeknights on ABC. He's also the executive producer of the Live in Front of a Studio Audience franchise with Norman Lear. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. The Award Circuit Podcast is edited by Drew Griffith and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. Until next time, for Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit.